1: Hello again. Ana Shayla, ¿qué pasa contigo? Pues thank you for asking. ¿Qué pasa conmigo? Well, my salsa lessons are in full force. So that's been what I've been most excited about recently. Yesterday, we had our latest class and now we're doing turns. And what's really cool about the class is that it's built um, on the previous class. And it's just so fun. I'm just so happy because I honestly, I love salsa music. It brings me so much joy. But in the past, what sucked is that I also feel anxiety when I would, you know, be at a party and it would come on because I didn't feel comfortable dancing it. And so it's just been really fun. I feel like we all feel like we're kind of in middle school. <laughs> all like come a little giggly, like, oh, we're going to dance together a little nervous. But, um, the other cool thing is I think, you know, we get to switch roles and that's been really fun. And my friend Ted, um, he's like a big bear and I've loved leading him. Yeah, because he's like this big guy and he just lets me totally lead him. And I love it. And, and he act, they actually don't call it leaders and followers. The instructor, he calls it activos y pasivos. Which I also really like. So, just that's been so much fun for me, and uh, yeah, that's that's what that's what I'm excited about right now. Oh, and I also have a wedding this weekend that I'm gonna be in, and we have to learn a dance that there I don't you go. know yet. You'll be ready so to that's go. another. No cuz I actually have choreography so it's another challenge. So hopefully y'all pray for me that I can learn the dance between now and Sunday.
0: Oh my gosh. So. Talk about pushing <laughs> pushing you out of your comfort zone, getting right yeah. into it. Well, you would be surprised to know this, I think Sheila is that I'm actually a very self-conscious dancer. I'm very self-conscious and I I am not I I move like no one's looking but I have zero rhythm. And definitely it's awesome music <laughs> intimidates me. But good, I'm Aww. glad you're getting so much joy with that. And I'm glad that you're pushing um, into uncomfortable spaces because that really relates to the conversation we're about to get into with Zara. Because um, it, it, I really have learned so much about work, with working with Zara, which we'll ex- introduce her in just a second, but I'll just share... That this idea, this is what it's inspiring me to share here, this idea of like pushing to something that feels uncomfortable, like dancing, like doing a choreographed dance into a wedding. One thing that I did at the very beginning of the pandemic is I decided to take a comedy writing class and I took it with Zara, who is our guest today, and we'll talk a little bit more about her. And it's just, I want to encourage our listeners to get out of their comfort zones. Would you agree with that, Anishela? Is it a good idea to push past those uncomfortable moments? 100%.
1: 100%. That's the only place that growth happens when you're a little uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> I love it. All right. So, let me tell you about our guest. So, today we are talking to Zara Norbosh, a feminist, Muslim, and Iranian American comic that we absolutely love. She's a brilliant educator. She's got this ongoing stand up and storytelling workshop that always sells out. So, y'all need to check it out. You need to go to her website, see if you can get in on this. You know, Sarah's work is empowering, especially to those who want to sharpen their comedy writing and performing, even when society is bombarding us with all this messaging that we are not enough. I have to call that out specifically. Zara is fabulous. However, I would add that what makes it extra special to work with her is that she she really markets her amazing class to POC, to BIPOC folks and Latinx folks, because There's sort of this, um, you'll hear, I don't want to reveal too much. You will listen shortly. It ends up being more than a comedy writing class. This is therapy, (laughs) y'all. Working with Zara is therapeutic. You'll soon hear why. And also make sure you check out Zara's website because she will have her very own comedy special. So let's just hear from Zara herself. Let's do it. First, I want to welcome you to Tamarindo. Hi. It's so awesome to have you here, and it's it's great. I have been, I mean, I feel like I've forged a friendship with you, but it's been all virtual because of this pandemic. One day, I think we'll hopefully be in a room together. I could give you a big hug.
2: <laughs> I know. You're right. It's so strange. It feels like I've always known you, and like we hang out.
0: And it's in the Zoom room. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so... Um, I mean, I have the great pleasure of knowing your work, and I think you're fantastic. But I think it would be great for our listeners to hear a little bit about your your sort of out of the traditional route, out of the the bar scene. You kind of took a different route to, to get into stand-up comedy. And I'd love for folks to know a little bit about that journey.
2: Sure. I started out in the bar scene. Um, I guess my first show was at a talent show. Um, for the Iranian Student Cultural Organization at UC Berkeley. And I totally killed it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go perform at a mic. And I bombed miserably. And I I didn't understand why it didn't work because um, I had killed it. Yeah, what (laughs) happened there? (laughs) All my jokes just landed as uh, stories with no punchlines. And somebody at the open mic told me, you know, it's like you just have setup, like you don't have punchlines yet. And I was like, what? And, but people were laughing. And in retrospect, what was happening that I didn't realize was that um, all of the jokes that I'd had before worked because everybody was in on that context. And so they, they, appreciated those punchlines but then when I took it to the bar scene they they weren't in on that context and so um
0: for them they were just learning and that's one of the lessons you give right <laughs> you got to get the audience yeah. to be in the context
2: yeah that well that's one of the challenges that really is like a storyteller skill set that they that a lot of folks don't teach you how to do in stand up comedy and if you go through the bar scene, what I see happen for a lot of folks is that they, um, rely on stereotypes and use stereotypes as a way of like cluing f- folks outside of their lived experience into theirs. Cause it, it, it has a built intention to it and it, it moves, it flows, but the, of course there's many pitfalls to that, right? You're like reinforcing a stereotype that doesn't feel good. And then also, um, the cis hetero white male, sort of um, entourage of comedy in those spaces views stereotype humor as a kind of pre-written joke. So you, you don't get credit for that either. You know, it, it's regarded as, a, as problematic as this term is for many reasons, a crutch. It also put me in this position where I, I didn't know how to kind of in that moment bring folks in because they started to assume they knew less and less about me, if that makes sense. It's kind of like that um, camera trick that like it zooms in and zooms out at the same time.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: For a lot of people of color, what I find is that as soon as you start talking about your individual lived experience, your context, your upbringing, your coming of age, there's this way that folks start to assume they know less and less and they want to learn more and more and their sort of
0: Orientalist goggles come on and pretty soon you are giving a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, their, their their context is now, oh, I'm learning. Let me get a notebook and take some notes. <laughs> yeah, Exactly, exactly. And so um,
2: what you learn to do instead as a storyteller, right, is that like you find those, that shared context that has, that can generate anticipation and maintain tension, and you learn how to do that. But that's a storyteller skill, and of course, a lot of folks don't think to hone those skills because in the world of stand-up, what you, you don't want to do storytelling. You know, you want to keep your jokes tight, you want to keep your bits tight, and I think sort of the further you are away from the cis-hetero white male experience, the less um the the more work you have to do to kind of connect with a crowd the more the crowd kind of assumes that they don't know you and that they're not going to connect with you and sort of the the bigger the divide and the more work you have to do and so i got really lucky that i got frustrated in the stand up comedy scene and i went into the storytelling scene because that's how i met w kamau bell i took his solo performance workshop uh for a couple years and um i really learned how to Use multiple mediums to feed back into my stand-up comedy routine and to really support me in building out my set and my career.
0: I love that. I love. I love. I mean, I'm, I'm nodding a lot. I'm not nodding a lot because I. It really. <laughs> it, it it tells so much because I think there's often like we celebrate like women comics or like a Latina in comedy, you know, Iranian American in comedy because it's such. It's so refreshing and new. And I think you, you sort of walking us through this experience tells us a little bit about why it's so refreshing and new, because there's those extra hurdles, those extra distances that a comic that is, not, that is further away from that cis, hetero, straight, male look and, and context. It re- I mean, I just really think it really highlights what's going on. It's not that women comics or minority comics mm-hmm. or the, inter, you know, the intersectional comics aren't great, it's because you've really elevated and showed for us what's at play here. It's just like it's just like everywhere else, y'all, just like everywhere else, yeah,
2: exactly, and I think if you're especially as like ethnically ambiguous folk, I grew up always being told that like racism wasn't happening to me, that I was passing, and that um. And I also grew up in a really conservative suburb where, like, racism was the R word that you don't say because it's a mean thing to
0: say to white people. Right. Yeah. Don't let them know that they're being racist.
2: (laughs) Right. And then in addition to that, there's the model minority ethos. And there is a culture of passing, especially amongst Persians. And for folks who don't know, there's a difference between white passing and presenting. Like, white presenting is, you know, I'm a fair-skinned woman. Um, And white passing is kind of identifying with that and saying like, well, I am white. Um, And uh, without critique of white status is um, something I recently learned. Mm. Um, And so like, it it was always really hard to pinpoint, you know, what is actually going on here. And it, it wasn't until I started hanging out with more folks who studied critical race theory and I would have these conversations and they would sort of like reframe it back to me. And I'd be like, yes, that's what I'm dealing with, you know? And I think that's part of the disservice, you know, to us is that we, um, it's the, it's that weird double-edged sword of privilege. That's just buzz. Like you go through life kind of, or at least for me, I, I wasn't connected to my racial identity. I didn't, um, It was just constantly being gaslit. And because these conversations were still sort of like having these conversations and we're still trying to say, you know, yes, this racism is happening and we're finding words like, you know, implicit bias and uh, microaggressions to sort of, you know, talk about these other layers and levels when you, when there isn't that sort of like confirmation socially, and academically that you can like point to and say like, here's the thing that's happening in my art. This, this is what I'm dealing with in my field. You know, still we have people saying, no, it's not, you're fine. So it it makes that journey so challenging. And I see so many folks give up and leave way before they should for some of those same reasons. And so I'm really passionate about connecting folks with this introspection that I've come by and free source material, folks. Yes, (laughs) yes. I love that. Let's swap notes and figure
0: this out. I I love that. And, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on this show because... So, listeners, I've had the great opportunity of of taking some of Sara's comedy writing classes, and I realized, wait a minute, yes. this is therapy. You know, <laughs> this this isn't about comedy <laughs> writing. You know? uh, and, uh, and I've recommended your work, and I know that you've uh, forged meaningful relationship with some of the folks that are connecting with you now. But it's because it is that. It's like I think you co- you you help artists and comics comf- confront this and realize that the- it's not just in their head. Right? Or like a part of it is, is right. naming it and we're learning how to name it like it's an incomplete story, but I I I love yes. this notion of like hey, let me share my notes with you. You don't have to struggle like I did.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel like right now there's such a culture of just like having the conclusion. And I think the benefit of note swapping is we don't know yet we're just kind of like i think this is what's going on you know what's your experience and kind of comparing and and sitting with it and and sort of allowing for some curiosity around it because otherwise it's that very binary ping pong of just like is it me or
0: is it society yeah so much room for nuance so much nuance I'd like to go back a little bit to more about your personal story as a you know, daughter of immigrants, an immigrant yourself. Uh, how has that informed the way you approach your work and and entering this comic space and, and other work that you're involved in? How does like your immigrant story fit in?
2: It's such a part of who I am. Um, I think so many things. I mean, when I was a kid, I was always. You know, trying to ease tensions. Um, I grew up with my mom wearing hijab during the Iranian hostage crisis. And back then, wearing hijab signaled to people that you were Iranian. And uh, they, they didn't care what Muslim was at the time. Not that hate crimes didn't occur and racism against Muslims didn't occur, but the predominant narrative was like, are you Iranian? That was the first question. And always at the grocery store. Hmm. And always in the produce aisle. I don't know. And that was the first place that I really like learned how to ease tension was um trying to get my mom to buy Lucky Charm cereal and getting into fights with her about it. <laughs> you know, and feeling like, oh, why are my parents such stupid immigrants? Why can't why do I have to teach you everything? I love it you know, and, uh, and then learning constantly that I was, you know what I mean? And like that other layer of like having to manage your internalized racism. Um, and, and, you know, I know that like in, in my therapy, there was always this conversation of like, if I was the parent in the household and ways that, you know, I was being parentified and I like now having had just a puppy. I'm like, you know what, man, whoever's willing to poop in the house on the floor. uh, You win. You get to decide (laughs) what happens. You know, (laughs) I give in. What do you want? What do you need? A seat at the table. Fine. (laughs) Fine. Then I just like marvel at my parents and their resilience. Um, There was just always so much learning. And I always felt like I was constantly advice hoarding. But like something that has been so curious for me and interesting and fun to sort of like play with in my sets is that I really felt the most like an immigrant as the oldest child. And that like. I feel like my siblings got to sort of build off of me as an example. I mean, I know they have because they literally have told me, I mean, we just watched you mess up and we're like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Younger sibling privilege here.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. Where Where are you in the sibling lineup? Well,
0: I have a really interesting uh, experience because um, – My parents, we came to the U.S. because my brother had a terminal illness. He had muscular dystrophy. Um. So um, he was six years older than I am. So I was the younger child and I was the... I've always been super energetic, and I've always been like a headache for my parents, you know? <laughs> uh, so I, 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 and I, I identify with, like, you know, arguing with your parents about the lucky charms. I definitely identify with that whole notion and translating <laughs> and all the things, all the immigrant things. Uh, but, of course, then my journey is, uh, is interesting because my brother passed away. So then now I am... Not only mm. am I the, um, well, I am the youngest, but I'm also the only, and I'm the, and there's got to be a word for this, but, you know, the surviving child. So that gives mm-hmm. me an a, uh, a in- incredible layer of spoilness of, like, my parents are worried. They're worried constantly. <laughs> they already worry, right? They're already Mexican parents, but put, put like, the real fear that they have. It's It's been an interesting upbringing, let me tell you. <laughs> Oof. Telling you, I'm telling you, that's a lot of pressure. There's, yeah, this, is, um, listeners, y'all are hearing. This is therapy. This is therapy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the other thing is that it. I mean, it's so hard to be brown and funny, <laughs> like that. They really love our stories of tragedy. Yeah, and I often find, and I hear this a lot from students where they have an easier time getting their dramatic stories place than their comedic stories Mm. and it's like man how many trenches of depletion are there between us and just getting to be funny you know what i mean like it, it they do carry more traction and my tearful essays do travel further than my funny ones and there some of that is because like yeah we connect with it on this deep level and some of that is also just Orientalist and racist, you know, is we are more available societally for uh, the tragic stories of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And that's one more thing that we have to push back against in our advocacy for our own skill development in our chosen field. And so when I see young comics and folks in the fields of comedy trying to navigate how they choose, you know, their projects and their collaborations and and their focuses, I always say lead by what makes you envious.
0: Mm, Say more about this.
2: When we're envious, it's just seething, very loud desire. I want what I see this other person doing, having, being, I want that. And for us, want is really tricky. It's it, it gets foggy because there's also there's what we want and there's what is available. <laughs> you know, we we are brought up to think that we live in this like equal opportunity society and America, land of the free, home of the brave and that whole narrative. It's all around us. And it we really internalize that, I think. And I, I think we forget that. No, you know, not only does nobody owe you anything, but they're going to continuously get in your way. And you're going to realize that and it doesn't matter. <laughs> and You're going to work against that and it doesn't matter. And you're going to write reports and there's going to be grants and it does. It still doesn't matter because that's what racism is. Racism is bigger than us. Mm. It's institutional. It's a hegemony. It's a constant struggle. It's why we have movements. It's why we find each other in these podcasts and spheres and, and workshops. And we hold on because it's bigger than us and we do have to bide our time and work together and strategize and have multi-pronged approaches and self-care and take a weekend and all of the things, all of the things. So for me, coming into this, it was always easier to produce and teach than it was to entertain. And even right now, I am constantly pushing myself to not have my sole income be from classes because I've been a teacher for 20 years and that's a, that's a well-worn muscle for me, but I've been an entertainer always part-time on the side of my teaching. And so my skill development there is much stronger and it's easy for me to kind of go, well, I think I just like teaching more, but part of why I like it is because I'm good at it, you know, and it's really fulfilling and I get to connect with folks and it's harder for me to do that in entertainment because As much as we all try, it is cutthroat and it is kind of elbows out. And like there is toxic positivity there. And it is hard to kind of build deeper friendships in that sphere because it's highly competitive and it's exhausting. And so I found that when I pay attention to what makes me really envious, then it kind of cuts through the noise of like, am I doing this because I'm just good at it? Is this really what my heart desire is? Because then. My envy is so loud. <laughs> and it, it allows me to kind of go, oh, dang, I really want this. I should really fight for it.
0: I love that. Listen to your envy. I like that. That's so powerful. Super powerful. And all of this is kind of coming together. Again, a lot of nodding happening over here. Um, and, nice. and, and also, I think because there's these systemic things in at play, but we forget about it, we tend to internalize. It's, you know, it's me. I'm not enough. I haven't done enough. It, it, and it shows up again because then your inner critic now is another roadblock that you have to fight. Ah, uh, yes. And I love that what, one of the biggest takeaways that I got from being one of your students is just like, how do we kill that inner editor? <laughs> and i love for you to uh, go into uh, that a little bit. Tell me about like how we kill that guy.
2: Well, first, you don't kill him. <laughs> Instead, you, you split him into two. I always tell folks to separate out all the voices in our head, uh, when it comes to writing. And I, I separate them out into four categories so far. Anyway, I've got the facilitator, which is kind of like, that's our, you know, in psychology, we call that the ego, right? Like that's our wise self, the planner, the project manager. Um, and then there's the, the creator, and the creator is that part of us that is just like the adventure seeker. What's new? What's fun? What's exciting? You know, um, that just like dives into it for the sake of adventure. And then there's the critic. The critic is that gossipy, spill the tea, coffee talk loving, comparative minded eye. Um, and in comedy writing, cultivating a dialogue with the inner critic is really 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 important because all you're doing in stand up every punchline is an opinion you're you're always just trafficking in opinions you're sharpening your opinions and you're working on making your opinions even more incisive raising and lowering the stakes you know and experimenting with your opinions and so you need a very active and available inner critic around that likes to have fun and and likes to gossip and and talk some sass and then you have the editor and the way that i regard the editor is the editor is that really organized person that gets mistaken for being the writer all the time because their writing is very organized but they like to organize your writing and they like to change its fonts and they like to move sentences around and they like to experiment with form and structure but they're not a writer. Mm. Your writer self is the creator. The creator enjoys that aspect and it likes dialoguing with the inner critic to sort of explore, you know, could I go deeper? Should I add more context to this? Um, Should I raise the stakes? You know, like it's, it's sort of comparing and looking at the universe around you and all the models and examples that there are. But the editor is the one that's there to go, Oh yeah, I think this is blending two genres or I think the, the I think the hook, you know, is your ending. You should put it at the beginning and sort of like it's the architect of your writing. And I think we often because we tend to um ascribe to the person that seems critical in us that is tapped into convention and form we give it so much authority and we go like oh okay so then you should be in charge of this whole project cuz you're the one that knows everything like you you're criticizing everything like you know so you must know you must have that wisdom you know and that's that like the snm fun right is like we all have that moment i mean i do where we want to like give into the dom and just like please be in charge of me and tell me what to do <laughs> you know but your your editor just likes to edit it likes things that make sense and comedy when you're drafting it especially it does not make sense the thing that validates a joke is laughter but before we are willing to sort of share it outside of our head or outside of the page to get that laugh and and know that it's working we have to let it out the gates first and so too often I see folks employing their editor as as though it has this other wisdom about their work and as though it can be their writer, you know, and as though all those things can happen at the same time and they cannot. And it's, it's a false promise. And so we have to, one of the things that I learned in my own writing coaching was to give equal weight, a voice of equal weight to push back against that editor voice that, that, activates and goes okay i th- i think i know how to fix this thing too early we have to have that louder voice that says no shut up go away or you know depending on where you're at with it that loving voice that just says hey not today not right now it's not your turn yet I love it and and really cultivate a relationship where we embody that wise facilitator, you know, that project manager that goes, no, you know, this is a process right now. I'm in the creation space. I'm dialoguing with my inner critic. I'm playing. It's not time for you yet. And a way that I explain it so that folks really kind of understand what we're doing to the editor when we employ it too early. I don't know if you've ever had this experience
0: where you get a job that you're not meant for Oh yes. This entire, this entire pandemic, I've had a I've I've quit
2: i quit multiple jobs. Yes. You know, where like like people throw work in your corner that's like, this is not what I do. Yes. You know, like for me, oftentimes I feel like I get tasked with like writing these reports as though I'm a grant writer and a PhD and I have neither of those experiences and neither of those skills. And it, it's incredibly stressful. And people assume that because I'm a great writer and a versatile writer, that that means that I can just sort of like jump into this medium, you know. And I'm like, no. And when I do, I have very rudimentary questions, and I need a lot of support. But it's always like, ah, oh, you're fine. Just keep it simple, and you're good. And it's like, no. <laughs> it's a, it's a terrifying experience, and that's what we're doing to our inner editor. We're creating a scenario for it that is very anxiety inducing. It is not a writer. It's an editor. It's, it's like, you know, giving the contractor the opportunity to do the blueprint without any of that training. That's not its job. It's not there to do that. And so of course it gets anxious and of course it gets really overactive. And of course it's going to Edit you in a way that's very conservative. It's it's outside of its depth.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just thinking back again to your class and how we 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 start with all those silly exercises, right? They're super silly, <laughs> yeah. and, and you and how you're like, just do it, just whatever comes, like ver, word vomit, right? But I get it now. I mean, I get it so much, uh, putting hearing it this way that it's like we got to give those four parts, those four different players their specific time. And, um, and I love it. I just yes. love thinking about that. That that editor that is well-intentioned, like, wait your turn. You know, wait your turn. Like, I think that's that's really helpful. I love that. Um, well, I want to wrap up our chat with our rapid-fire questions. These are really fun. So oh, have fun. a lot of fun with it. Speaking of just, like, whatever comes to mind, right? <laughs> so the, the first thing is, uh, what are you celebrating? And what we do is we play a matraca, which is a fun little toy. So... What gets your matraca? What are you celebrating? Right now I'm celebrating my dogs. So adorbs. Tell us more about them. Thank God
2: for my dogs in pandemic or I would never get out of the house.
0: 100%. They're the real heroes, y'all. <laughs> Dude.
2: <laughs> there are days that I'm like, I don't know if I'd get out of bed if it wasn't
0: for They're just so you cute. And, you, and I mean, your puppies are adorable, but also one of them is like a real puppy puppy. How so cute. Yeah, he's a puppy. I love it. I love it. Now, what goes in la basura? What are you throwing away? What are you done with? What are you canceling? What is it? Oh my goodness, my feelings of
2: betrayal. Big one, big one. Yeah, (laughs) those are are, yeah. I mean, those are tough. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I found, and I'm not even like talking about like you know relationship betrayal or even anything on that scale is it's I found it really hard in pandemic to not take things personally. Mm, Yeah. So I guess it's more that like it's just it is so difficult to not take things personally. And there are times where I think I'm being So fair and open minded and honest. And I'll have a friend say, Don't take it personally. And I'm like, I was. I was. I do. I'm so mad.
0: Yeah, I totally relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, so we're putting in La Basura. Overblowing taking it personally. Those things. Yeah. Overblowing the betrayal. You feel it, but maybe you maybe you're giving it too much power. Like the other, like the like the editor.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I'm a person who believes that where we put our focus is where we put our energy. And so I I've really and also I live and die by TED Talks. They're my side religion. And there's this great TED Talk about venting. And how it's actually kind of not great for you because it it sort of, that's where your mind goes. That's what gets the most stage time, you know, is that vent that you're trying to release and let go of. And the thing that we actually need to do is um, focus on the things that went well that day.
0: Mm, let that and, ruminate and, versus the bad stuff. Yeah.
2: Yes. and And let that fill you up. And then after you're sort of Filled with, you know, your I call it being back at a hundred percent, you know. Um, then to kind of assess the thing that you're venting about, to strategize around it, to give yourself room around it, and to separate out what's the pain, what's the need, what's the, you know, and and de-escalate. Um, and so, it's a, it's good to not take things too personally just because then when it's it's sort of investing in the um it's investing in the pain of it rather than investing in my own resilience and I'm I'm really trying to invest in my resilience
0: beautiful i love that i love that so much and kind of w- within that spirit how do you stay grounded how do you get your calma oh my god how
2: do i stay grounded Right now, a lot of fantasy procedurals like Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh. and the Magicians and Evil and Grim. And what are some of the other juicy ones that are out there right now? Hector and uh, The Gift is so good. And the, so many fun, otherworldly supernaturals, another one, just really fun supernatural law and order shows.
0: <laughs> it's so fascinating. <laughs> yes, I got to tap into some of that. I know there's so, so many great shows and all I watch is like mediocre TV. So I'm going to I'm gonna listen to this list again and I'm going to start like subscribe, hit, you know, <laughs> start listening. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Program. You're going to have a blast. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Well, this was so much fun. And like I, y'all, like I said, therapy, this is therapeutic. Uh, you are such a gift. I'm so grateful that you spent some time here on Tamarindo. Oh my goodness. And just thank you for sharing some of your knowledge with us and let us, letting us copy your homework. I think it's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah. Likewise, likewise, likewise. Let's swap notes all the time. Yes.
1: Ah, oh,
0: what a delight to
1: speak to Zara. She's amazing. Yes, that was awesome. And also, you know, if Brenda paid for something, it must be good. Yeah, because I'm, I'm
0: cheap, y'all. And I did
1: pay for her comedy writing
0: class, and I love it. I don't pay for anything. That's why on this podcast, I'm not really asking y'all for so much. You can contribute if you feel like it. But my confession, I don't pay a dime to any other podcast, which makes me really bad. Makes me really bad. I really don't. I really don't. I'm cheap. I got no money.
1: <laughs> but y'all
0: can get some more of Zara Norbosch right now. She's got it, like I mentioned, she's got the this ongoing stand up storytelling workshop that always, always sells out. So you go to zaracomedy.com to so get on her mailing list. She does have discount codes. And let me spell that for you Zara is spelled Z A H R A comedy.com. Okay. All right. And to close us out, why don't we do all of it at the same time? So why don't you go first, Sheila, Tell us your basura, matraca, and your calma.
1: All righty. Here I go. Este, my basura this week are holidays that make people feel bad about themselves. <laughs> that just happened recently. And I really just like there's so many holidays like that. And I just really want to reframe Valentine's Day. You know, in, in Espanol, we call it el día del amor y la amistad. And I feel like that's already an improvement from Valentine's Day. And I just want to reframe just like how we've done with other holidays. I just want to change the name of this one because I think that would be helpful to a lot of folks that Really get down on this on this day. Um, I had a coaching client who was really bummed out actually because she's been single for Valentine's Day for a few years, so it can be a tough holiday for her. And she actually that day instead did something really loving toward herself, and then sent loving messages to her family and friends. And that's what I want the day of you know el día de la amor y la misa to be about is like starting with doing something loving toward yourself. So that's my basura. <laughs>
0: Your rasura is to the holidays that make you feel bad about yourself. Got it. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, Okay. So next I will share my matraca. My matraca is to my sweet friend, Ted, um, who's given me a lot of time, a lot of joy in my time in Mexico. And he, you know, basically he inspires me because what he's created in our little queer salsa group that builds every class is exactly what I've been wanting and energy structure Todo. And so Ted just reminded me that we have the power to create what we don't see. So he reminded me that I have that power um, through his work, and I really appreciate him. So he's getting my matraka.
0: It makes me think so much about our guest, about Zara, because it really is, you, you know, you got to just kind of show, be what you don't see, right? So I love that. That's perfect. Yay, matraka to him. Yeah,
1: matraka to Ted. And then my calma, my calma right now is that I've been keeping the intentions that I set for this year really present. And so what I do is I I have this like vision board or it's not really a vision board. It's a board where I have my intentions and affirmations and all this stuff on it. And, um, and I go in and look at my board and look at my intentions every single day. And it's been really cool to see the ways in which I'm living them. And real quick, my, my intentions for this year, connection, freedom. So connection to myself and others, freedom from, you know, oppressive things that we've learned, freedom with my body, just freedom, period, creativity, Uh, ownership is my other one, ownership of how I take up space, how I use my energy, my actions, like also being, that means also being responsible for my actions and then pleasure, Um, pleasure. And I'll just really quickly, I want to speak on, on the idea of pleasure, because I've been reflecting on this a little bit, but I think as a result of A combination of things, I think possibly capitalism, growing up Catholic and being a Capricorn. But um, first of all, I have shame around pleasure, number one. And then number two, I've always kind of felt like in order to experience pleasure, like all these other things need to be in order. Like my finances need to be in order. My house needs to be in order. Like everything else needs to be awesome before I can let myself experience pleasure. So I am challenging that trying to let go of that because it's been, it's really affected me and my relationships. And hopefully we get to explore that a little bit more in, in a future episode. But that's my calma.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, two two things come to mind. One, this notion of taking up more space. Y'all, we have an opportunity for you to take up more space. You will learn from the best. Anishayla, your awesome and favorite life coach will be there. I will be there too. <laughs> and we are going to talk to you all about... How to step into your voice and power with more confidence. And that's happening on March 1st. And it's pay what you can so that you if you're cheap like me and you only got a dollar, that's all we need. So register if you want, please. And we'll have the link in our show notes. Fantastic. Yes.
1: Gracias, gracias. Brenda, how about you? Give me me all your matracas, basuras, and calmas.
0: Yes. Well, my basura is making people scramble for arbitrary deadlines. (laughs) I won't get into specifics, (laughs) so I don't tell on anybody. But dude, some folks are just like, I need this yesterday. And then all of a sudden, never mind. Ugh. So basura to that. Basura to making people scramble. (laughs) Um, Hopefully Mm -hmm -hmm. y'all can relate to uh, somebody doing that to you. Um, My matraca goes to girls trips. I'm really excited to be going on an all girls trip around Valentine's Day and I and I got one of those like memories popping up from the past. I realized that I did this not that long ago in 2020. I went on a, just a ladies trip. So I guess I should probably be nicer to my my lover and stick around on Valentine's Day. But I'm just excited about going on girls trips. It's always so much fun. Yes. Where are you going? Hobosh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Not sure. I'm going to an island off the coast <laughs> of Cancun. It's going to take a plane, a ferry, a bus, but we are going... Um going off, you know, getting, disconnecting.
1: And, yes, um, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, so excited. And my karma, my karma goes to a really sweet note that I got. This is from one of my workout clients. As folks know, I've been teaching a workout class. In fact, it's starting up again um, pretty soon. I'll put the links to that also in our show notes if you're local to L.A., Mondays and Wednesdays at 7 in Sycamore Park in Highland Park. So this is from one of my clients. This is what she said. Thank you so much for offering this class. I had a baby in 2020 and I've had such a hard time focusing on myself, especially having a C-section. It messed up my core, but I feel like I'm finally getting a little stronger and getting my head back in the game. Definitely going to continue. That gave me so much joy when I got that note. It was so sweet.
1: Yeah. Um, And that's just, yeah, I also, I got a note from one of my coaching clients. Oh, actually the one that I gave those recommendations to do some loving things for herself. She told me how much she loved her session and just those notes. They make such a difference for the work that we do. No. And so y'all like your love notes mean so much to us. It really does keep us going. It reminds us that we are appreciated. It gives us motivation, inspiration, todas las cosas. So yeah, I, I, am totally with you on that.
0: Yeah. So if you all feel inspired, please write us an Apple podcast review. That's really the only place that matters. We love those DMS though. They're sweet, but please put it on an Apple podcast review as well. And I got to say, man, this is, it's also very, I'll take it as a compliment. But Matraca to all those listeners that are like, hey, wait a minute, your episode is late. Where is it? I I expect my tamarindo in my ears. I just think that's also a love note. So thank you for those love notes, (laughs) y'all.
1: Yeah, when you sent me that, I was like, oh, they know. They like know when we come out. That's so cute. It it means a lot to us. (laughs) Yeah. All right. With that, on tu suéter. Bye, y'all. Abrazos, besos. Bye. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Our producers are Mitzi Hernandez and Augusto Martinez of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards.
0: If you want to support our work, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com.